0: Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger.
1: Well, happy Thanksgiving, except, you know, the Lions made it not so happy. I was in such a great mood before that game. and I'm doing my best to shake it off. Thank goodness. I think last episode, actually, I opened talking about how all I have to lean on is the Lions, and now the roles are reversed, so... Happy Thanksgiving, folks. I hope the lines didn't ruin your day too much. And, you know, for any Canadian listeners, happy second Thanksgiving. So, well, Evan isn't here. Uh, He is off on a... This is the most Evan problem I've ever heard. He's off on a vacation that he didn't even want to go on. So, we're all, you know, we're all crying really big tears for him. Do you know how
2: perfect it was that we had the joke lined up that today's the day he crossed the rainbow bridge and now we can't make that joke because <laughs>
1: yeah, because yeah, that bridge closed <laughs> 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 quite quite literally <laughs> oh jeez folks welcome to the winged wheel podcast here to talk to you about all things detroit red wings hockey a special announcement the world of the nhl and lots more i am one of your hosts ryan hanna
2: i'm brad crisco
1: and evan Is away. Please leave all slander in his DMs. Know that he is working on reading, so it'll take him some time to respond. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we're going to talk about a really great Red Wings game. I I was telling Brad before we recorded, probably one of the best overall efforts they had all year against the New Jersey Devils. Individual storylines from that, Alex Lyon, Robbie Fabry, Lucas Raymond, and more. We'll be talking about, yes, loathe though you may be to hear it, the Patrick Kane saga. Detroit is on the final cut list. So it seems we'll be hearing from head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins, Dan Watson. It's an interview that we've been excited to release for you. We recorded it before the season started, actually. And it goes along with an announcement that you're going to hear about in a second. But you'll hear from Dan Watson as Evan and I talked to him preseason about the Red Wings, the Griffins and more and some NHL news before we get into overtime. Before that, I have a couple of announcements. First, we've been waiting a long time for this. As you know, it was part of why we recorded the interview with Dan Watson. But Winged Wheel Podcast Night isn't just at the LCA. We are happy to announce on Saturday, January 27th of 2024. So not too far from now, just a couple months. Winged Wheel Podcast Night with the Grand Rapids Griffins in Grand Rapids. Yes, we're taking the show on the road, headed out to Grand Rapids. This is something that we've been working on for a long, long time. The details we've been kind of hammering out. I really, really appreciate everyone uh, with the Grand Rapids Griffins who have worked really hard to kind of pull this together. It's going to be a fantastic event. Go to griffinshockey.com slash WWP to get your ticket. Much like Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, we have some sweet merch, a co-branded Grand Rapids Griffins and Winged Wheel Podcast hat. It is an unreal hat. So you get your ticket. You can get one with the hat, or if you just want the seat itself, you can get one without the hat. The event starts at 5 p.m. with a live recording of the Wing Wheel podcast, much like you're used to with WWP night at the LCA. It's going to be in the banquet rooms at Van Andel Arena, enter near the Consumers Club entrance. It's going to feature head coach Dan Watson as well as Grand Rapids Griffins players and, much less importantly, us, the hosts of the Wing Wheel podcast. So you're going to see a great game against the Belleville Senators. You're going to get access to the uh, Pre game live recording of the Winged Wheel podcast featuring the head coach, featuring Griffins players. You're going to, if you'd like, get the sweet co branded hat. We're going to have a great time. We're really, really excited to get out in Grand Rapids. And I know this is probably the number one request that's come from listeners, I think, since we started the podcast. Like now that Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA, we've run that five times. Like that's the thing that we're doing. The getting out to Grand Rapids and, and running something with the Griffins has been the most popular demand. So, Hats and tickets are limited. Don't wait to get yours today. Griffinshockey.com slash WWP. Grand Rapids Griffins. We're so, so excited to partner with them. They've been phenomenal to work with. We can't wait for this. Also, Winged Wheel Podcast Nights and the Winged Wheel Podcast in general are supported almost entirely by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to join the Dub, Dub Club, get some awesome benefits and make things like Winged Wheel Podcast Nights happen. So that's just how you can support the show and make these things Uh, viable for us the fans and and the community let's start off with i would say one of the most unexpected performances of the year for the red wings and i don't say that lightly because the hot start they had to the season was really bizarre but coming off that sweden trip coming off a double time zone change like going over to sweden coming back you know one point out of four over there was super disappointing I was not expecting that much of a solid, comprehensive 60-minute performance from the Red Wings against the New Jersey Devils.
2: Yeah, the jet lag, the rust, the disappointing performances, all the ingredients were there for them to lay a real egg in this one. Uh, One thing that I'd be remiss if I didn't point out is it was also an extremely underwhelming performance from the New Jersey Devils. So New Jersey did the Red Wings a huge favor because they did not look like themselves, but... We've talked about it in years past where teams would come in and bring their, you know, C game to the Red Wings and the Red Wings would still somehow walk away with zero points. So it's super critical when you get a team on an off night, throttle them, beat the brakes off them. Yeah. And the Red Wings did. That game after that stretch in the first period wasn't close. New New Jersey never felt like they were in it. And, you know, it was one of those games too where the Red Wings had the legs early. And you were wondering if that was just a result of, okay, they just, they're excited to get back at it. And then, you know, the jet lag will kick in and it'll taper off. And they never really did. Not that the Red Wings, you know, looked like they were outclassing New Jersey. The Red Wings weren't flawless. It's not like they put up 45 shots on them. But they were sound. They were steady. Mm -hmm. They got a good team on an off night and they did exactly enough to make that game
1: not feel close. The point you made about New Jersey having an off night, you're absolutely right. 16 shots against that's 16 shots against that's a poor performance. Part of that has to do. Yes. With the Detroit Red Wings stifling chances. Of course you have to give credit to that entire team and the defensive play to, to stifle those chances. But That's not a good performance from New Jersey. Absolutely right to point that out, Brad. But what do we say about the Red Wings, if you look at the other side of the coin, is you can't expect them to be at their best for 60 minutes, night in and night out over an 82-game season. So I really like what you said about when a team comes in and has a stinker or a below average game against you, you have to capitalize. So it's fair to point out that New Jersey was bad, but capitalizing on it isn't some like luck of the draw, that's never going to happen again, like no... You prepare as if the team is going to come out and it's going to be Jack Hughes like he was in the season opener against the Red Wings. But you be ready to pounce when they're having an off night. So the Red Wings did what they needed to do. Alex Lyon pitching a 16-save shutout, which it's going to be one of the more easy shutouts that he'll see in his career. It's one of the first ones. It's going to be one of the more easy ones, but he did what he needed to do there. And Alex Lyon coming in after a poor first game in Sweden from James Reimer, doing solid against Toronto, and then following that up with a shutout after travel and the first game back, that's not nothing. And it wasn't nothing that they decided to start him that game either. No, it's a big statement.
2: Yeah, Huso was mostly back, Reimer was back. Like, all three were an option, and they went with Lyon because of the last handful of games, he was the only one who strung together a solid performance. So if you want to have... One of the important things that's probably worth mentioning about not losing a locker room, especially as a relatively new coach like Newsy, you have to re- reward... Merit. Mm-hmm. And when players are playing bad and getting a ton of ice time, the players know. If a goalie's running absolutely cold and trotted out there as a starter every night, players notice. Yeah. So for Lyon to have a good game, and then obviously it's not a back to back, obviously the travel was not great, but all three of them <laughs> were over in Europe at one point. They rewarded the guy who had the best performance and it paid off. You know, 16 saves is not a ton, but you can only stop the pucks directed at you. And he got all of them, so you couldn't ask anything more of him. And it does now create a very interesting dynamic going forward where, for the rest of the year, up to this point, I should say, there was a very clear pecking order. It was Huso, then Reimer, then Lion. One more good game out of Lion
1: could flip this whole thing on its head. So it's already yeah. mashed potatoes for me at this point. Like, year. Edmonton is looking at this, absolutely. They're looking at every goalie. Like, if you walk past Ken Holland with goalie pads slung over your shoulder, he's going to consider it. But Edmonton's looking at this, and Red Wings fans, you're right, Brad. Like, this is already going to be an interesting goalie situation.
2: Edmonton could have any goalie not currently in Edmonton. They could even have a Jack Campbell. (laughs) That was so ridiculous when I read that. That was the dumbest quote. Uh, The worst part is, I believe the quote. Like, I'm not... I I forget who it was. If it was Chris Johnston saying, I believe Chris Johnston, this is real information. I can't believe that's a thought that even crossed the Oilers' mind.
1: My God. The thought is Edmonton are looking at all possibilities, which is even internal. And maybe they go back to Jack Campbell. And hey, I preach, we'll get into this after, but I preach goalies are voodoo and, and goalies lose and refine their game all the time. But on short notice, when you need it to happen, that's like. Uh, it doesn't quite work that way. Anyhow, Alex Lyon, we'll see what he does. It's a couple games, so it's important to not get too far ahead of ourselves. I think later this episode, we'll start talking about how many Vezina votes he's going to get. No, but in all seriousness, like it's, it's what Detroit needs to see. And in a season where they haven't exactly been getting the save on a consistent basis, if he's going to come in and do this and be solid night in and night out, we've seen how Newsy operates. For goalies... He's not really, I don't know, he's been less likely to move things around as he is with the the rest of the lineup. I, I find that Newsy's a little bit more sticky, like Derek alone's a little bit more sticky with who he has in net. But now that that dam has broken, I wouldn't be surprised to see Alex Line run away with this. Well, he deserves to. Like I said,
2: the players will notice if he doesn't. Yep. And he has earned the right to not Going to say be the guy or run with it now, but he's going to get a lot more looks in the next
1: couple weeks. Well, that's Alex Lyon, and he's not the only one who had a good game. Lucas Raymond scored again, I was at four goals in four games, that's his eighth goal of the season. We talked the last couple of episodes. I think he's Detroit's best player right now, and he is continuing his hot streak. So, and that was like it was an excellent give and go with Fabry, and he had no reason to snipe it where he did on, like it it did not need to be that difficult or precise of a shot, but he did it anyways, damn it. And that's a confident shooter right there.
2: Oh yeah. Leave no doubt.
1: That was, yeah, that was fantastic. Lucas Raymond's play has been, you agree, best player in Detroit?
2: Uh, In the conversation, yeah. Yeah. You make a real strong case right now. And as I'm running through the rest
1: of the team off the top of my head, yeah, not finding a lot of other candidates. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually someone else I want to give credit to in this game, Robbie Fabry. I'm not taking a victory lap on anything because, yes, Robbie Fabry is still injury-prone, but do you remember my little rant a couple episodes ago, which is like, why are people saying fire him into the sun? He's productive when he's healthy. I, the, the health is a big question. like That I don't blame people for being frustrated by. But you don't just give away a productive player for no, for nothing, for no reason, and he's healthy. Not only did he produce that game, he looked good. He stood out for Detroit. He's one of their best offensive players. That's, I mean, that's the hit that the Red Wings lose when he – goes out with injuries. Like that's the kind of depth production that makes a big difference to the team and opens things up. Well,
2: it might be more than depth production. Uh, if to bring it off the first line is going to be a regular thing, they're going to have to find someone to slot there regularly. I do like the Red Wings going with this eleven-seven seven idea though. while Chemistry is an issue because it gives you a lot of options to find it. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe Fabry's the answer there because you know if you have debrinkit on the second line I, again i don't love this idea but if you are going to do it all well, you need someone who can keep up with larkin and raymond and they're going to have to find someone to play opposite alex debrinkit who can get him the puck which we'll have a conversation about shortly because <laughs> yeah well maybe yeah. but yeah it's uh
1: it's good to see someone step up in that situation the eleven and seven, like yeah, it's not great that it has to be moved off the first line. I do think Detroit's best case scenario here is that they find a way to get get that top line, whatever configuration, firing again. But eleven and seven seems to be working for Detroit, and as long as they lack a rhythm, I'm much happier having them go eleven and seven and and cycling through because it makes sense. Injury is going to dictate a lot of that, though. What did you think of the line combinations? Let's talk about that. I didn't mind them. They looked all right in the game,
2: but with the 11 and seven, there were so many combinations that it was hard to get a good feel for any one of the projected lines going into the game because they didn't get a lot of run together. Yeah. You know, it was listed as Larkin, Raymond, and... Valeno. Valeno. And yet there's Fabry and Raymond on a 2 on one in the first period to create the first goal. It looked good to me. Again, I don't think they were... Blowing the doors off the Devils and just generating a million chances. They were the better team and they did generate a bunch and it was a good game, but I don't think there was a lot of conclusions to draw from it. You know, outside of that minute and a half stretch, they only scored one goal the rest of the game. Yeah.
1: In a a minute 12, they scored three goals. That was an insane stretch.
2: Oh, yeah. But the overall picture is it was good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to be, you know, banging the table here to change what they did. But this definitely needs a longer look and a tougher test with obviously a couple likely coming up.
1: The other goal, so it was Raymond, Larkin right after, which was good because Larkin had been on some kind of dry spell. Very obviously, as Larkin usually is, playing hurt. This is about the time of year where Larkin is banged up in some way and is playing through it. So he was his first goal in about six games, I believe. So good for him to break through. Him and Debrinka connected on that one. And then the third of the rapid-fire goals was Robbie Fabry from Sprung and Valeno in the second period most sider got a shot through that looked like it took a deflection off a couple of people but it ended up being a new jersey devil stick so sider's point shot went in for his second goal from sprong and Wallman. so that's two points for sprong in this game as well and yep yeah, it was four nothing overall uh, for detroit line did what he needed to do they, like you said Brad they weren't perfect and we'll talk about that in a second but you know you make sure a bad team or a team having a bad game I should say is continuing to play bad and you convert when you need to convert and your defense steps up and your goalie makes the saves he, he needs to make, that's the stuff you love to see from Detroit. And you don't want to call it a scheduled loss, but if anyone saw Detroit fall to New Jersey coming back from Sweden, they would not have been surprised. So that's a good you know, break-the-narrative win for Detroit.
2: You got to do what you got to do, and sometimes the best
1: way to do that is just keep it simple. And yep. that was the vibe I was getting in that game. The only thing I want to talk about that game, they did get a power play goal in the waning seconds of a power play that was cider shot a shot that, let's be honest, shouldn't have gone in. No. So they went one for four. If any power play is running one for four in general over the course of a season, they're pretty happy with it. Uh, the rest of the power plays, it still looks off. Like they're what three for forty something over the last stretch here. Like it, the power play looks like a shell of its former self. It's the same power play.
2: But that's the problem. Other teams know it. They defend it. And the Red Wings do nothing to adjust to it. How many times did we see in this game alone, it felt like Alex Debrinket with the puck low on the left side, looking for Larkin in the slot. They, it was there a lot. And was that option there? Never. Not once. It was easily defended. Mm -hmm. Then the puck would go up to the point. They would look over to the other half wall. Not a lot of traffic, not a lot of space, nothing there. Lather, rinse, repeat. There's yeah. no creativity on this power play. None. They are so predictable and easy to defend right now. Might as well decline the penalty at this point.
1: It's the zone entries especially are killing me. Like you're not even getting to the spot. Yeah. Well, that, we we can uh, paste this recording in for the last seven years. I was going to say, we were talking about zone entries in like 2017, about how infuriating they were. It's just It's like one of those things that's so systematic with Detroit, it seems. Anyhow, I'm not going to harp too much on a 4-0 game against a very good New Jersey Devils team. Jack Hughes looked invisible out there. Very obviously a frustrated player. So all in all, good game from Detroit. They got the two points and they got it without giving up anything in terms of like a breakdown or anything of that regard. So like I mentioned, it might have been a scheduled loss in some people's mind. Good on them for breaking that narrative. Up next, the Red Wings have a tough game in Boston on Friday. It's an uh, afternoon matinee, 1 p.m. game, and then 26th, the Sunday, 1 p.m. game at home against the Minnesota Wild, and at which point we'll be back with you Sunday evening. Some other notes about the Red Wings, Kaleem Coston didn't factor into the New Jersey game. They didn't say exactly why, but they said it's not related to his play. They just said it's a team standards thing, Generally, and without knowing the specifics, it's likely something like a missed team meeting or he was late for something or other. Jake Wallman, I think it was last year. Yeah, it was Jake Wallman where he uh, sat out at a game because he was late for practice or a couple times or something like that. So pretty normal unless they release the details. Don't read too much between the lines. That's just something to that effect. It's not as mysterious as Corey Perry just being.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, does Clem know where Corey is? Yeah,
1: no kidding. So that's just some kind of small news with Detroit in the lineup. Let's talk about some bigger Detroit news in the free agent market. I know we've talked a lot about Patrick Kane. We've talked a lot about what teams he might go to. Detroit is among the finalists for Patrick Kane. Those rumors are not just rumors. They are alive and well. And after meeting with teams, and Patrick Kane has been meeting with teams, and it's been confirmed that he's met with Detroit Detroit is among the final three who have essentially made his shortlist. So obviously Detroit, Buffalo, his hometown, that was always expected to be there. And Florida, who have been really kind of hot to trot on trying to bring in Patrick Kane, are among the three expected finalists to land Patrick Kane. So it seems to be getting closer. You mentioned last episode, Brad, that we talked about Kane, that you would imagine Detroit's chances have improved for various reasons, essentially other teams eliminating themselves, seems to be coming to fruition at least to some degree.
2: Yeah, Buffalo, their spot in the playoff race doesn't look great right now. Florida's, I got to figure, the favorite because they're on some kind of a heater this year and they just got Montour and Ekblad back. Again, the salary cap's fake and you can always make it work somehow. But yeah, if they're in the final three, they're in a playoff spot and they have cap space. So they, they have the two basic necessities to land Patrick Kane. Florida has one of those things, but again, they can make the second. Buffalo only has one of those things. So it's going to be interesting because it's one of these things, like the differences between these three, uh, like rumored finalists have different appeals. And we don't know what would Kane's priority be. Does he want to go to his hometown? Mm-hmm. does he want to play with his good friend or is winning the be all end all whatever his answer is to those three that's likely where
1: he's going at this point you know we talked about his hip resurfacing and how I personally have after seeing backs essentially have to effectively retire like he's not coming back I have a lot of nervousness about the viability of Patrick Kane to come back effectively at all he was a you know, near on a generational talent, if not a generational talent, like one of the most skilled players in the league and and productive players in the league, yes. So you expect him to be able to do more than most other 35-year-old free agents, but you still don't know what his hip is going to allow him to do. It's not really an operation that's conducive to coming back, playing professional hockey at his age, if at all. So I do have that nervousness, but if this comes with a short-term risk, then that nervousness kind of washes away because LTIR is LTIR. That is what it is. It doesn't really matter for the cap in that sense. And I think maybe Kane might have to go short term here. Like teams are going to look at the backstrom thing all the same as we are. And they're going to say, I'm not going to offer you three years. I'm not going to offer you four years. I might not even want to offer you two years. So I'll give you a year, whatever amount of money that you want. That's fine because it, you know the cap doesn't matter for the rest of the year. We have the space. It is what it is. And you're using this as a prove it to the rest of the league that you can play longer. So if Kane came in thinking, yeah, I want three or four years, but he can't get that. What if he takes one year from somewhere else, that's likely to pay him a little bit more or as much as he can get does well. And then he has his choices again. If he comes in and demonstrates that for the rest of the season, he can play and he can get two years or three years somewhere else. It's, I don't know that it's likely to work, but that seems to me where this is kind of landing or a likely landing spot.
2: Yeah. LTIR is the great equalizer in this league. And that seems like at some point in Patrick Kane's career, it's likely to happen because no player has successfully come back from this surgery. None, zero. Guys have tried. Nobody has done it well to the point where they were actually a productive NHL player after that. Nicholas Backstrom, a very similar player to Patrick Kane. Made it like a month. Had one point in like 10 games. But, like you were mentioning, LTIR based it almost zero risk. Not zero risk completely, because obviously you can only have so much in LTIR, so if other players go down, yada, yada, yada. But, for a team that struggles to score, and make no mistake, this year, despite the improvements, the Red Wings still struggle to score. It's worth a gamble. Depending on the contract, of course. It's worth a gamble. Will it work out? I'm not at all confident in that, not even a little. Mm-hmm. But
1: what else are you going to do at this point in the season? I it's kind of where I'm at. Like I'm not going to sit here and say the Red Wings are one post hip resurfacing 35 year old Patrick Kane away from being a bona fide playoff contender. I I don't think that's the case. But I also don't think there's a harm in trying to mix it up and adding that asset for free. And by uh, for free I mean like it's essentially the owner's money is what they're spending here. Yep. they the the cap isn't really a consideration for the rest of the season to the degree where you have to be concerned about Patrick Kane coming in short term. If he comes in on like a longer or you know relatively long for this situation, let's say a medium term deal, then I I'm you know wondering what the hell. But that doesn't seem to be the way this is going. So yeah, it's a free asset. Think of it as like an inverse of what happens with college free agents. Instead of someone at the beginning of their career, you're getting someone for free at the end of their career. It's you're rolling the dice and you know, the dice are heavily favored or weighted to go one direction where it's not. It's not, it, it might be snake eyes. Everyone's saying, Hey, this is likely to be snake eyes. And anytime someone has rolled these dice, it's been snake eyes. But if it's snake eyes, you don't really lose anything. Yeah, fine. people, you know, there's a lot of really passionate argument about it, which I love to see as Red Wings fans because you should, you know, denigrate the good name of the Chicago Blackhawks. That's that's the responsibility of Red Wings fans to be always anti Blackhawks and and yes, that's that's part of it. It's a very real part of it for Red Wings fandom, but also like he's a defensive black hole. Like he's not gonna come in and, and fit what this team needs defensively. But if he's willing to come in and, you know, be a power play specialist and keep the power play consistent and be able to give the offense some different looks and mesh with DeBrinket in a way where it's fine if he's not on the first line or maybe he is in in sheltered, whatever it is, then, yeah, roll the dice. I don't really care. I just much like you, Brad, I'm not really singing from the rooftops that you're going to get Patrick Kane of eight years, 10 years ago back. That's just not in the cards.
2: If they do get him on a one-year contract and if they even get Patrick Kane of last year, it's it's a big win. Because he was still very productive last year offensively, Mm -hmm. but that's where the Red Wings struggle the most. So all you need, you don't need prime Patrick Kane. You just need Patrick Kane of last year for this to be a worthwhile experiment.
1: And, you know, there's a lot of really fair statements about, you know, what's happening with the Red Wings long-term. How does this fit into the long-term plan? This doesn't solve anything for sustained success. Yep, yep, yep. Correct, correct, correct. Very good points. Very fair criticisms. This is just within the scope of, hey, let's see what we can do this season. That's what that's very obviously what Eisenman, Lalonde, and the Red Wings are doing. It's we have what we have. Let's see what we can do with this. That's the, the, the scale and the scope of this conversation. No one's pretending that this solves anything long-term for Detroit.
2: If a lot of prospects aren't ready to graduate. Might as well get a playoff round out of it. So?
1: The the rumor is that he is looking to make a decision early next week. Count on it happening immediately after we record an episode and aren't able to re-record right after that. So I would say probably Wednesday evening of next week is is when I'd bank on it, but we'll see how the whole Patrick Kane saga pans out. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's jump into the good stuff. Evan and I spoke to Dan Watson, head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins. This was a conversation that was recorded in preseason, so it was after training camp, and we talked about Red Wings prospects, Grand Rapids Griffins young players, and and what to expect for the season. Obviously, still a really great conversation with a lot of insight. Dan's an awesome guy and you know, actually had a lot of crossover in the kind of minor hockey that we all played growing up, so it was really, really cool to talk to him. This was something that we've been really kind of waiting to release for you guys, so without further ado... Dan Watson head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins well no better way to kick off your first season in the AHL coaching the Grand Rapids Griffins than joining the winged wheel podcast some might say folks welcome for the first time to the show head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins an accomplished uh, former head coach of the Toledo walleye Dan Watson Dan thanks so much for joining us today oh
0: no, thanks for having me here today it's it's my pleasure
1: so There's a ton, a ton, a ton of noise around the Grand Rapids Griffins, all for very good reason this season. Uh, You were just brought on over the course of the summer to be the brand new head coach of the team. I guess a very simple opening question for you here is what have your past, you know, four or five months been like?
0: Uh, You know what? It's been two different things. Number one, uh, trying to get to know the players, the prospects, our team, uh, get to know the coaching staff, the equipment staff the medical staff there's a lot of new there's a lot of new people and new faces around um, with one staple that being uh, dog the equipment manager has been here forever uh, but everyone else is new so getting to learn that and then on the flip side of that you know in the ECHL your job is to recruit all summer and so I had a pretty quiet phone uh, you know from July August on where the agents weren't calling, players weren't calling. So it was a little bit different in that respect. Um, but again, just a, a productive summer, getting to know the guys, how they play, where they could fit, uh, and just communication with, with Derek Lalonde and his his staff and with Sean Horkoff. So uh, just getting to understand and learn how this side of it works.
1: That's awesome so obviously over the course of the summers when you were hired on as head coach you know Sean Horkoff who's the GM of the Grand Rapids Griffins and assistant GM for the Red Wings would have been you know the one running that process can you walk us through a little bit of what it was like to interview for the role did you have a sense that you might be a a leading candidate for it beforehand what was that like for you?
0: Well you know and and it happened um, you know pretty organically in terms of Letting them know I, I would have interest, you know, and I've, I haven't been shy in the past to say, uh, I was staying in Toledo. Um, you know, there was sort of quote unquote unfinished business at times, more for the fact of my family as well to stay there. But this is a job that's circled. I think there's a, there's a ton of candidates that would love to be in Grand Rapids. Number one, it's a great city. Uh, Detroit, a great organization, obviously an original six. The, the, the Grand Rapids Griffins history, you know, color cup champions, uh, Van Andel Arena is beautiful, great place to play and coach. So it was basically reaching out saying I would have interest. And then as playoffs went along down in Toledo, it got to a point where they need to sit and, and talk to me about hockey. And, you know, they knew me as a person. They knew me as a Toledo coach. Uh, you know, there was obviously talked to their players that were here and played for me got their opinions but they hadn't really sat down to discuss my philosophies on how I like to play how the culture in Toledo is so that was a first step you know it was a good solid 2 to 3 hour zoom call <laughs> uh regarding that which is a, it's great to sit down and talk with hockey people number one it really was it was educational for myself educational for them uh and then I made it to the in person interview as well I drove to Detroit met with uh, Steve, uh, uh, Sean, Dan Cleary, and Chris Draper, uh, and myself in a room, and, and we talked hockey and, and spoke for another two to three hours. Uh, it really was in depth. I thought they did a really good job throughout the process. They were thorough. Uh, it took a little bit of time, and, and just being patient was the key. Uh, but overall, I really enjoyed uh, how the entire process worked.
3: Yeah, one question I had for you um, was sort of, you know, managing. Um, player expectations coming into your first year as a Grand Rapids coach. You know, you've got guys who've played there, you know, we'll call it almost their entire career. And then you've got guys like Simon Edmondson, um, Sebastian Kosa, guys who are looking to eventually make the step to the NHL. Um, have you kind of figured out how you're going to manage some of the personnel in that, that sense so far?
0: Yeah, I think everyone's got their own uh, development path. How quickly that happens, that's going to be on us as a staff, but also on them and taking ownership of that development, too. They've got to be involved and and they have to be invested in it. Um, you know, you look at Simon Edvinson, and, and for me, he's knocking on the door. Uh, he's right there. Uh, a guy like Sebastian Cosa, you know, he's still learning how to how to become uh, that that every single day pro and he is learning that there there's no question about it. I've seen his growth from day one in the organization until now where we are and, and he's grown leaps and bounds so everyone has a different development path um, now the way to handle that is making sure they're not getting too far ahead of themselves not looking too far into the future I think for them it's, it's focusing on the next day on that day in particular uh, worrying about that specific day and, and don't get caught up in things they can't control you know, control what they can, that's their attitude, their work ethic, how they respond to certain situations. And that's going to propel them to where they want to get to and ultimately where the organization hopes they can get to.
3: I was going to say, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, agents do a lot of recruiting at the ECHL level. Um, just wondering what other differences you've you noticed uh, making this step up to the AHL.
0: Well, I think there's a ton of information that you have available to you at this level Uh, a lot of analytics a lot of different types of software um that you kind of as a coach have to have to dive through and see what what type of information you want to use yourself what information you want to give to the players um you know i think that's a that's one big thing because the echl level you don't you don't have that they don't keep those type of stats and uh, you know, so now getting into the the bigger analytical departments it's it's eye opening for me, but things I love, I'm very analytical. I like to look at that now it's sifting through and figuring out what to show them that's gonna help them uh, become better players and so that's one big uh you know I guess one big difference. Uh, another big difference is dealing with people who are you know one literally one step away from their dream, you know and and you really have to manage do a really good job of managing people and making sure that, uh, you know, they, they're still having those positive. They get sent down they've got the positive attitude to work their way back out of this league. Um, you know, they're close to making millions of dollars. It's right there. And I can, you know, i have already seen it a little bit that you want to make sure that guys are in the right headspace so they can perform at a high level each day. So managing people is a little bit different than the ECHL. You're still managing people though. That does remain the same, but, you know, the dollar signs and the, and the dream of being in the NHL is right there for these guys.
1: There's a lot of really interesting stuff in there that I want to uh, uncover a little bit more, but jumping back to the analytics that you mentioned, uh, it's great to hear that you're exposed to more of it in the AHL. Does that come in house or do the Red Wings assist in that? I know Jay Verity is a big proponent of it. Uh, How does that kind of blend work?
0: Yeah, no, the Red Wings are, they're certainly involved. Uh, they give us all the tools and resources necessary, uh, you know, to have all those numbers analytical reports, you know, post-game reports, pre-game reports. Uh, you know, there, there's data for everything. As much as you want, you can get it and have it. So they're, they're a big proponent of it. I think it's something, uh, you know, again, for me, there, there's nothing better than the eye test, but then you have numbers to back that eye test up. And, and make sure you see what you're seeing. It's very helpful if you do it and use it the right way. Uh, and so that's, yeah, they're they're on board with it and, and they supply us with all the resources necessary, which we appreciate.
1: You mentioned managing people and, you know, often these are young kids on the verge of, of accomplishing not just their dream, but the biggest payday of their lives. How tough is that? And, or I should say, how integral is that to a player's development? Because we've seen time and time again, A super talented player who never kind of pans out and from a fan's perspective they don't really know what's going on behind the scenes is how often does attitude or or mental approach come into play
0: well i think that's yeah honestly it's the the biggest thing in the game right now is the mental side of the game not necessarily the physical side if you look at the prospect pool there's a ton of guy with skills there's a ton of guys right now who are in the best shape of their lives um, but now the mental side of it, you know, there's disappointment at times. There's going to be highs. There's going to be lows. It's how you manage those highs and lows, you know, how to deal with pressure. Uh, you know, there's ways to develop mental toughness. Uh, you know, and I think, I think there, there's, you really have to make sure that everything is great away from the arena, away from the rink, away from hockey. So when they step into their workplace, they've got a clear mind. They know what's expected. They can just go do their work. Um, so that's a that's a big proponent of myself, our staff, especially, is we making sure these guys, you know, they 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 have clarity uh, when they walk inside the arena every day.
1: Dan, there's a commonly held belief uh, in hockey circles that a successful AHL team isn't always stacked with the you know best future NHL stars, but rather AHL veterans who know how to play the AHL game. One, uh, do you subscribe to that theory? And two, how do you balance? You know, a team so chock full of up and coming, hopeful Red Wing stars with getting the Grand Rapids Griffins back on track?
0: Well, for me personally, and I had the same belief down in Toledo, it's the right veterans. It's the guys who still want to get better. It's the guys who show up every single day, put the work in. They're consummate pros. They do know the leagues. They can help the young guys navigate through, you know, the dog days of the schedule, uh, some of the nuances that happen with the schedule. Uh, I think, you know, Sean did a really good job of bringing in quality people and quality players that can help these young guys progress. Those older guys, those veteran guys that have been through it know the league. I've talked to them all. They still want to improve themselves in their game. And that's what excites me. You know, we don't have anybody sitting here that's saying I'm comfortable being in Grand Rapids. This is where I want to be. Uh, you know, I'm just here to play hockey. Everyone that I've talked to right now, they're they're invested in this team. They're invested in this city, this organization as well. Uh, and they want to help. And they're here to get better and they're here to help as well. And I think that's that's the biggest part. Find the right veteran guys to mix in with the young guys to show them what hard work look, looks like, how hard it is to make it to the NHL. But these guys want to get back there too.
3: So. Given the composition of the, the team this year and the, the season opener is this Friday, what sort of uh, expectations do you have for the guys and for the team? And I guess also for yourself as a, the first time head coach for Grand Rapids.
0: Well, I think obviously for me uh, and the team, uh, you know, our biggest thing is to, to become a team as quickly as we possibly can. You know, you go through the Traverse City, you go through Detroit, they have training camps there, they're mixed, intermixed with the NHL guys right away, they're not, our players haven't been all on one team up until this week. And so really, these four days of practices leading into game one, it's been integral to try and get this team together, gelling as, as a, you know, as a big group here. Um, another goal is we want to make sure we're competitive every single game, whether it's at home, on the road. We want to outwork teams, and that's going to have to show on the ice. And they're doing it right now in practice. And, the, and then the final goal early on here is to make playoffs. And as everyone can see, it doesn't matter what seed you are. You just need to get in. And I believe the group here, that's what we should be striving for is to make sure that we're playing important games down the stretch. We're playing important games late April into May. Those are kind of the expectations we have right now behind closed doors.
1: You mentioned Sebastian Kosa earlier in his development path compared to the likes of maybe Simon Edvinson, who's, you know, right there on the cusp of making the Red Wings. You watched Sebastian's very unique development path start off last year in Toledo and, and end on a really high high. And obviously, we were working with him in camp. What do you think is the most important thing for him to to work on this year? And, and where do you see his next steps being?
0: Well, I think for him, it's it's the next, next step. You know, guys are better. Uh, he's facing better players. Um, you know, again, I think it's that day-to-day competitive work ethic. Uh, I think it's got to be consistent on a daily basis. And that's just going to continue to help him get better. Um, you know, obviously we've got a great guy in Michael Hutchinson, who's who's seen it all. Uh, so he can help him navigate that path. Um, Rope is, is a new goaltending coach, development coach here in Grand Rapids. He's a young guy, so he's up to date with all the techniques, uh, you know, how to communicate with Sebastian. He's done a great job so far. So I just think that's what it is. It's it's being a pro every single day, the mindset that he wants to do it. He has to do it. Uh, and so far, I like what I've seen here uh, getting back to Grand Rapids.
3: You've helped out with the uh, Red Wings preseason as well. Is there anything you noticed while you're uh, up with the with the Red Wings that you're going to try and you know install or instill uh, with the Grand Rapids Griffins this year?
0: Yeah, I think the culture. I really like what Derek and his staff have done behind closed doors, maybe that people don't see. Uh, it's a tight-knit group. Uh, they know what the expectations are. Uh, they understand why they're they're there in Detroit, what what needs to be done in order to get back to the success that they've had in the past. Um, and it's something we're going to instill here. You, know, you look back to those really great teams, late 90s into the 2000s, and if you watch those games, you watch any documentaries, they were a tight-knit group. And I think you've got a big nucleus of young players here in Grand Rapids that could hopefully replicate that type of success. And so we really – what I really believe is that we need to get them tight. We need to get them close, uh, really form and bond, great friendships. And that will lead and bleed uh, right into uh, on-the-ice production and performance. And so culture is going to be a big thing for us, uh, just getting back to having a good, positive, positive environment to grow them their, their game on the ice and grow them as people off the ice too.
1: Dan, you obviously have a playing career to speak of as well. Uh, I, I should point out, Dan was a defenseman. Yours, actually, this is a, a three defenseman interview right here. There's no sure Brad. Is. <laughs> so this is a, there we go. This is Smart a, guys. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. This is a safe place. Uh, you, uh, you played with the Sarnia Sting in the OHL and, and had a stint with the Syracuse Crunch in the A, as well as uh, Cleveland, Providence, and then Cleveland again to wrap it up. Uh, what was your playing career like, and, and how did it feed into your ability to kind of be successful? pro coach thereafter
0: yeah i think obviously very lucky to play for some really good coaches and actually started back in strathroy junior b obviously my minor hockey days in Glencoe, ontario i had some really really good coaches really good coaches we won a lot there won a lot of championships i'm fortunate enough to you know to still be in touch with a lot of my friends back home with that said moving on to strathroy i had to the uh, privilege to be coached by Pat Whitey Stapleton. Uh, he really was integral in, in introducing our entire team to the mental side of the game, something at 15 years of age. Kids back then weren't introduced to it all, but he talked a lot about that. Then getting to Sarnia, uh, playing for Mark Hunter, who is a demanding coach. He demanded work ethic at the compete level. Um, you know, and and I love that because that's what that was me. You know, I had to show up every day. I wasn't I wasn't really skilled. I wasn't you look at my stats, I wasn't a point guy. Uh so I need to be great positionally. I need to make sure that I outwork the opponent. So little things like that I can take for my playing days and move it right into my coaching here and, and the way I operate on a daily basis. And Pro uh you know he started out in the American League and, and and worked a little bit backwards ending in the ECHL which is okay uh, but again playing for a guy like Gary Agnew uh, Roy Sommer these guys are, are legends at the American League level uh, and for me just to see how they operated how they communicated with players you know I didn't I didn't play every game I was a healthy scratch at times I've been through that so all those types of conversations I've had with those coaches, um i'm comfortable having with my own players as well because i've been through it so you take what you take all the good things you like from coaches you kind of forget the bad stuff that ever happened and you kind of mold yourself and and form your own beliefs and i was very fortunate like i said to have play for and and still be friends with some great coaches
3: Uh, Your first year in Syracuse, you played with uh, Jody Shelley, who had almost 400 penalty minutes that year. What was it like playing with that guy? And I think he's in the NHL. He had almost 1,500 penalty minutes. So there must be some good stories about him.
0: Oh, yeah. Unbelievable guy. And, uh, yeah, he could – listen, I don't know if I ever saw him lose a fight when I played with him, but one thing I did see and witnessed was – his work ethic after practice, during practice, to get better, to get to the NHL. Um, you know, again, he was is in that era where teams needed toughness, but they also need to play at times. And so I watched him and Ross Yates, the assistant coach at the time, skate around the circle, working on crossovers, working on transition, working on starts, and, and he put the work in. I, I love seeing it, but unbelievable guy, unbelievable team guy, uh, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, but again, would not want to play against him. Getting his, you know, get on his bad list uh, playing against him.
3: Yeah, you don't want to run into that guy in a dark alley. No, you don't. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about your time in the AHL as a player: how did it sort of evolve as a league from you know the time you were as a player to now that you're a coach?
0: Well, I think as a player, I played back in the days where. The fourth line, they were rugged. They were tough. That's who I got to play against, being on that bottom pair D, uh, you know, the third, fourth lines. And now you look at the American League now, it's younger, it's faster. The skill is unbelievable. Some of the things the guys do now with the puck, it's it's amazing to me to see how much that's developed. Obviously, I play with a wood stick. Those don't exist anymore. So the equipment has obviously gotten much better too. But I just think that the level of play – uh, from these guys. They're, they're smart. Uh, the skill, the the things they can do at the speed they do it is probably the most impressive to me. And, uh, you know, again, there, I played against some guys with some really good shots. So I still think that's, that's the same, but overall, I think the IQ, the skill, the speed that these guys do things is amazing.
1: Dan, when you wrapped up your career, you stepped into uh, an assistant coaching role, uh, with Toledo two years later. Uh, as an analog to that, Brian Lashoff just wrapped up his career at the Grand Rapids Griffins and stepped into an assistant, uh, assistant coaching role on the bench with you. What do you see in Brian Lashoff as a player and how is his experience going to contribute to a, a hopefully successful first year for your entire bench?
0: Well, you know, Brian, was that was an easy hire. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for him. He's been here forever. You know, I think it's 14 or 15 years now that he's he stayed in the organization, specifically in Grand Rapids. And I think, There's a lot of respect for Brian, not only within the organization, the players that played with him last year that are still here, but the entire city. I think that was really important for myself was to make sure that there's going to be a good avenue between the players and the coaching staff. And Brian's going to be that, Um, you know, it's going to be new for him. There's going to be some challenges along the way, definitely, but he's a smart guy. Uh, He's polished already. He understands the game. He sees the game extremely well. In the late, the latter days, the last couple of years, he's, he's been helping with development before and after practice with some of the guys already. So I think he's further along than probably what I was when I jumped into coaching. Um, but again, just an overall great human being, and we're lucky to have him here.
1: Evan mentioned earlier that you were up at camp with the Red Wings. Who are some players that you noticed or some things that you noticed uh, from the players there who didn't ultimately make the Red Wings, but you thought wow, there are not enough eyes on this guy or the fans are going to be wowed sometime soon that uh, maybe it kind of went under the radar?
0: Well, I think some of the younger guys, I mean, you look at uh, Amadeus Lombardi, for instance, you know, he he's going to need some seasoning here at the American League level, but what he can do with the puck, the plays that he can make, the speed that he can make them with, like he's a guy that if he continues to develop the right way, he might be an exciting, really exciting player to watch. And there's other guys, too, that kind of fall under the radar. You know, Albert Johansson, very steady, very calming influence back there. He's got a lot of poise to his game. Um, you know, I think those two guys right there, they, maybe maybe it overlooked at times, or Albert for sure maybe isn't a highlight reel guy, but he does things the right way. Now, Amadeus is a flip side of that. Again, he makes plays. People are going to cheer. People are going to get out of their seats because they're exciting plays. Uh, but again, it, again, he just has to make sure that uh, we're doing this the right way here and he develops the right way so he can make an impact when he gets up to Detroit.
1: All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate all your time, uh, but we're not going to let you go quite yet because uh, as we chatted about before we hit record here, we have a special announcement for the listeners. Uh, Saturday, January 27th. The Winged Wheel podcast is going to Grand Rapids, our first ever Winged Wheel podcast night at Van Andel. So, Dan, I'm sure we'll be saying hi to you there, watching uh, your Griffins take on the Belleville Senators, and we're really, really excited to run this event with uh, you and the Griffins.
0: Oh, we're looking forward to having you here in Grand Rapids, and uh, Van Andel will be rocking that night, no doubt.
1: Unreal. Okay, folks, this has been uh, Dan Watson, head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins. Dan, we'll talk plenty this season, but best of luck with the start of the year, and uh, we'll chat again soon.
0: All right. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Dan.
1: Okay. Welcome back. That was our interview with Dan Watson. Very excited to talk to him again, and we have that scheduled with Winged Wheel Podcast Night with the Grand Rapids Griffins, Saturday, January 27th, griffinshockey.com slash WWP for details and to get your tickets. Let's get into some NHL news, Brad. The NHL, you know, they have, they have an impossible problem in front of them. They want best on best hockey. And yeah, they are working on the Olympics. Let's see if that comes through. We, every every fan wants the Olympics. The only people who don't want the Olympics are, and I don't want to say they're unjustified, you know, the NHL ownership that's frustrated by the International Olympic Committee not wanting to pay travel or, or contract insurance or whatever it is. Everyone wants the Olympics. But the NHL also, I think smartly wants to do something on the offsetting, you know, two year gap between the four years of the Winter Olympics, if that makes sense, and they want to bring back the World Cup of Hockey. I'm in support of this. I think the NHL messes up a lot of things, but I I think if there's an NHL run, best-on-best competition, that's a good way to offset what the NHL thinks that they lose in terms of finances with the Olympics. Anyhow, with the whole Russia invading Ukraine thing, it has created a really difficult problem with the IIHF, Russian teams not being able to play, the players not being able to to play in international competition, etc. The NHL's rumored proposed solution here is in February of 2025, running a four team World Cup of Hockey that would involve Canada, USA, Sweden, and Finland. <laughs> Which, again, I think it's a thankless task what the NHL has in front of them. I I don't think there are a lot of good solutions, but I would. I would say I'm I'm maybe naively a little shocked that they went out of their way to pick one of the worst ones I
2: could think of. I'm going to start by sympathizing with the NHL before I go into how insanely stupid they continue to be over very simple things. The IOC is a nightmare to work with. They do not, they are such a big organization. The NHL does not get a lot of what they need from the IOC in order to Pause their season midseason to go to the Olympics. I understand this. I still want to see them at the Olympics, but I I fully understand the hurdles there. I fully get why the owners don't like it. I fully get why the league doesn't like it. I understand it a thousand percent. I also understand that for a lot of major sports, the Olympics is not the pinnacle of the sport. I think the last time we had a a deep conversation about this over the summer, I I brought up soccer. The Olympics are not the be-all end-all, the big premier event for soccer. It's the World Cup, which is something, I know FIFA and the NHL are different, but for all intents and purposes, a private organization created themselves, promoted themselves, and is now the
1: absolute top tier of soccer. Best on best soccer. I just want to say the IOC and FIFA are fundamentally corrupt organizations. Oh, no, yeah, the they're, they're awful, <laughs> awful, 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 awful. But FIFA is the shining example
2: of you can build your own. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm fully on board if the NHL creates their own World Cup, best on best hockey. and it ha- But the thing is, it has to be consistent, sustainable, and inclusive because you have to draw in From everywhere. You have to create new fans. Exactly. A four-team World Cup, and I understand time constraints. Starting now, I understand the time constraints, so I'm not going to criticize them for saying we might only be able to pull off a four-team tournament at this point, which I I understand. It's a short time frame. My gripe is this should have started two, three years ago. They're behind the eight ball because they put themselves behind the eight ball. And I still refuse to believe that you can't make this at least an 18 tournament. I understand that if you go too deep into the pool, it gets really watered down, et cetera, et cetera. But I refuse to believe that if you just threw Czechia, Slovakia, Germany, Switzerland to pick four random, pretty good countries off the top of my head into this tournament, that it somehow ruins it. And that these organizations could not participate you're telling me you're going to have a best on best international hockey tournament with no Leon Dreisidel, no Roman Yossi, no Maurice Cider. You know, and I could go on and on, but it's, it's insane to me because what this tournament is going to be. I'm a Canadian, I'm going to love the hell out of it. A lot of Americans, most American hockey fans will watch it. Sweden, Finland, they'll be all in. Nobody else is going to care. You wanted to grow the sport? Well, I feel like it'd probably be beneficial to grow it in Germany, to grow it in Switzerland, Slovakia, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens down the road? Now, I I think I did read something that they do plan on expanding it beyond 2025 that just because so... I un- Before anybody comes at me, I understand that this is a one tournament problem as it's arranged right now, but I still think it's a mistake. What has to ultimately happen if the NHL wants to get the Olympics and have the World Cup be their premium event? It has to be consistent every damn two, three, four years, whatever they want their timeline to be like clockwork. It has to run and it has to include, and I know a lot of people will argue this point because of. Hockey's not soccer, and the talent gets watered down way quicker than it does in soccer. But it has to include as many teams as friggin' possible. As, as reasonably possible. Is Denmark ever going to beat Canada? Probably not often. But the one time it happens,
1: Man. it's going to be a real damn big story. Every Canadian fan will tell you about the game where they sweat through everything in 2016 because the Latvian goaltending was just a brick wall. Like, I I understand these teams get shelled, but it's kind of the beauty of international competition for the Denmark's, the Latvia's. uh, Norway might pull off a game where they come in and they shock a team, even if it's like a tie. Like Italy, when they host the Olympics and and they get a tie, that kind of stuff is, it's huge. Watch how these countries celebrate
2: after. Exactly. The fact I know who Christers Gudlevskis is, is a testament to that 2016 game against Latvia or whatever year it was. Moments are what make fans. And if you want to grow the sport in a country like Norway, it just takes Norway beating one top five country once to create a gigantic new group of fans because they will always remember that moment. I don't know how many people are old enough to remember 2002 Olympics. Anybody remember who Canada played in the semifinals that year? I remember Belarus. Why? Why? The massive upset of Sweden in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I remember that puck hitting. Who was it? Tommy Soderstrom in the head, bouncing in the air, landing in the net to give Belarus
1: the win. Also, I, apologies, I got my years wrong. It was the 2014 Olympics. 2014, it wasn't yeah. 2016. Yeah,
2: even but even further to the point because that was nine years ago. I'm referencing an upset from 21 years ago. Yeah, it's moments. Will Belarus, Norway, Denmark get smacked around by the top five teams? Most of the time they play them. Absolutely. But you know what? Those countries aren't going to complain about it because they're happy to be there. They'd rather be included and lose eighty percent of their
1: game substantially, just to be there and have that moment. One other thing on this is, I agree. It's not good for best on best hockey to be missing one of the top hockey countries in the world in Russia. Like, absolutely. I'm not I, even talking about that no, no. because that's their own hole they dug. Nobody feels bad for them. Well, that, that's but there's some play, there's there's a very actually good argument about some Russian players who have actually disavowed the war in Ukraine and are very obviously anti-war and, and it's it's a shame that they can't be in there. I agree, like it, that's a mess and I don't have the solution for it. Brad doesn't have the solution for it. The NHL doesn't have the solution for it. And is it what they're doing right now perfect? I don't know. I actually don't even care to comment on it anymore, but it's because it's such a fluid situation. Eventually you'd hope you're going to get to a space where Russia can be part of these competitions and that's because of a lot of geopolitical things happening in a positive direction. But you don't stop all of this until that gets resolved because it's not like you've already gone far too long. Like we're referencing, like you mentioned, Brad, stuff from a decade ago. We should have a litany, a, a an entire library of memories between now and 2014. We should have an, like 2002, 2010, like all of these Olympics should be so far gone in our minds. Not that we we forget them, but we we're able to celebrate, you know, We never got to see as a uh, hockey fans, McDavid and Crosby close to their athletic primes playing together. We never got to see some of the most talented squads that Team USA could theoretically put together actually come together and challenge the dominance of of Team Canada and Olympics passing. You can't wait for things to be perfect. Yes, it sucks right now and it's an imperfect solution. And if there's a World Cup or an Olympics without Russia, would it have an asterisk? Yeah, probably. In my mind, there would be a little notation and you'd have to acknowledge that. But you still got to do it. And I think, you know, that argument is probably maybe even in favor of the NHL just doing something that they can manage, which might be a four-team. I still think that's stupid. I agree with you. Add in more. But they got to get going on this. And at the end of the day, I will say if this does turn into an every-year two-year two offsetting cycle between the World Cup and the Olympics, and they both happen consistently, and we just have to bite this four-team tournament once... I'll happily swallow my words if that's what we end up with.
2: Yeah, because again, you look at soccer's format and you want the NHL to replicate that at least a little bit to get as many countries involved as possible. Because if it's a four-year gap, I want qualifiers. Mm -hmm. I want to see stuff like that. Like, you know, in soccer, CONCACAF has the bracket. So if there's qualifiers between like Italy and Latvia, and whatever, and one team goes on a run just to qualify for the tournament, that gets a lot of attention in that market. Yeah. So it's easy for us to sit here and say, why the hell should I care about a qualifying game between Hungary and Japan? Oh, I as a Canadian, I don't, and I never will. But if one of them, to those teams, and those country, and hockey
1: fans in those countries, it'll matter a hell of a lot. Alright, pick a number between... Let's say 14 and 58. 14 and 58? Yeah. 19. Who do you think is 19th in the IIHF rankings? South Korea. Not, not bad. Korea's 21. Oh, Yeah, wow. it's Hungary in 19. And I just referenced them. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. Uh, last thing, and it's kind of a shame that Evan's not here for this, but more in NHL news. You see Zach Benson's first career goal. My God. <laughs> fil- Thank goodness Nate Danielson scored twice as well yesterday because that was a filthy first career goal. I feel
2: bad for Nate Danielson because I genuinely think he's going to be a really good NHLer, but there is a reality where none of us are going to care because Zach Benson's just going
1: nuts. He could be I mean, this was kind of part of his profile. That's why a lot of us wanted him to be one of the potential Red Wings draft picks. And again, this isn't a commentary on Nate Danielson. Like, I'm personally happy with the pick and he's been great. If
2: Zach Benson went eighth and Danielson went ninth, we're all doing cartwheels right now. But Zach Benson's (laughs)
1: profile the entire time was insanely skilled player. If he can translate it to the NHL with his size, then you have a potential star in your hands. It's one goal. It's one and, and goal. And that was his first
2: goal in his ninth game. So yeah. it's like one before goal. we
1: get way too ahead of ourselves here. Let's see if he can make this thing stick. But I could. all I thought of was like I could see Evan's hair going gray from here. Evan's a huge Zach Benson. Stick. To be fair, that probably wasn't even a top five Evan piss off yesterday. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Let's jump into overtime here. Overtime in this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, again, is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. You get benefits like access to our Winged Wheel Podcast exclusive Discord. You get access to all of our bonus content, like our overtime bonus episodes, which we record right after these main ones. And you also get entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. Excellent mezzanine tickets, and the vast, vast majority of them are going to our Patreon supporters So again, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to join the DubDub Club. Comment here from Cody Stark says, in regards to your goalie talk from last episode, in order to analyze any goalie save or unsave, that's a good one, uh, but specifically Rymer's unsave from the OT game, you need to watch in slow motion and normal speed. Coming from someone with 28 years of goalie experience and eight years of goalie coaching experience, Rymer's unsave was purely reactionary. Lost the puck, found it at the last millisecond, his body reacted to Stutz's swing in motion, and he extended his blocker hand, which shifted his core the other way because physics. If that puck hits his helmet, then that means he doesn't react at all. Also, Lion is successful because of his rebound control. It's much better than both Huso and Reimer. In the goaltending analysis world, rebound control is the most successful metric to a sound goaltender. Thank you for your time. Cody, wonderful, wonderful goaltending insight. I'm glad my reactionary opinion was not stupid. Yeah, I mean... You, you watch it and it looks ridiculous. Like at the end of the day, it is frustrating to watch that he did duck it the way, like out of the way, out of a save, which cost him the game. But you look at it, you're like, I'm sure he didn't want to be doing that. Joseph Barry says, Hey, boys, happy Thanksgiving. And to you, Joseph, how do you guys feel about trying to acquire Pavel Buchnevich? He has one more year after this season at 5.8 mil. He could add some depth scoring to the wings, maybe.
2: I love the player, love the contract, but I don't know if the Red Wings are in the market for short-term acquisitions. Still, I know everybody listening is rolling their eyes because I've been saying this for the last seven years, but I think we're still in that window. They are not in the position where they can afford to give away premium assets for a year and a half of a guy because this is building towards a cup, and as much as I like Bucinevich, he's not helping us get a Stanley Cup.
1: Give in the heart says, not trying to get my hopes up. Is it even remotely possible that the Leafs can't sign Nylander? If so, what would a trade with, for him with an extension in place look like? Okay, with an extension in place, it's a lot.
2: Multiple first and premium prospects.
1: I think it's more likely than not that Toronto makes it work. I, I want to say. They'd the, be insane if they didn't. The cap is fake and he is. They are right in their window and he's been their best player this year. You don't lose. Willie Nylander and get better for sure and unless they have like a Edmonton Oilers esque rest of their season they're not going to give away William Nylander when they're trying to make a cup run I don't know I just I think you ha- they're going to find a way to make it work. It's and, not impossible, but I think it's more likely than not. And again, the
2: there. key the key point there being, they're not trading him away even if they don't get a contract done cuz they're trying to win a Stanley Cup this season, so the Red Wings would be in a much better position to simply just try and pay him a billion dollars in the off season without having to give up the multiple first round picks
1: and prospects. Yeah. Beer League Chicken Daddy says, "Now that Lions brought more options to goaltending, what prospects from Edmonton are worth chasing?" Also, anyone from Calgary outside of Lindholm would you call on?
2: Well, I would say Xavier Burgo from Edmonton, but uh, the Red Wings don't have a goaltender that's worth any of their premium prospects. So, I I don't know. You're you're probably just hoping for a mid-round pick that's closer to a 3 than a 6. Yeah.
1: Wallstat is a four-letter word, says, I didn't hear it come up last episode, but can someone please explain to me why Larkin went to the bench for a new stick with seconds left in OT against Ottawa? I don't see how letting them play the last seven seconds three on two isn't a bigger conversation than Reimer maybe ducking slash maybe trying to get his arm up. I, did, I actually haven't had a chance to go see the specifically when Larkin went to the bench, so I, I can't tell you the second-by-second second breakdown, but I can say in three-on-three three overtime, a man without a stick is a pylon. Like, it's very hard to make a difference with that much open space.
2: Now, this this thought would never go through a player's mind, but if with that little time on the clock... Larkin's almost literal only and best option to not be useless out there would be probably play without a stick and just shadow someone. And if they get the puck, bear tackle them. Yeah. Like take the penalty because a two second power play, who
1: cares? Just straight up Goldberg, the guy. Yeah. Like find a way where it's not going to like induce a penalty shot. Like nothing of that regard, but
2: yeah. Literal, literal bear hug. Take the penalty with a couple seconds left. Who cares? Yeah,
1: but no. But like
2: no player in their right mind is ever going to be thinking that in the moment. No, it's. That's one of those ones going when you reflect and go, yeah, really, what the hell could he do? And then you start running. Okay, well, going to the stick, getting the stick at the bench. Well, that's not going to work. All right, playing three on three without a stick, that's not going to work. And now you're on the third option of screw it, chaos.
1: C Nods says, Who has been your top overperformer to this point and top underperformer on the Red Wings? Overperformer and underperformer. Overperformer? Gossespare has to be in the conversation. We expected a lot from him, but I think in general, I'm pretty impressed with his output. He's been about what I expected. He does like definitely leans towards the overperformer side. Who else would be there? It's too small of a sample size for Lyon. I think Raymond's been good, but this is what you wanted yeah. to see from Raymond.
2: Larkin and Debrinket went from overperformers to underperformers, which means they're probably balancing at adequate performers. Yep. Valeno, maybe, but even that is eight points isn't like crazy. Underperformer? Oh, I got a lot there. Uh, Overperformer, Comfer. Yeah. He's been better than I thought he would be.
1: You know what? It's funny that you say that. What you said about Bear, I expected this from Comfer. Yeah, this is... I think Andrew Kopp shifted what I expected
2: from Comfer so that this is probably what he should be, but Mm -hmm. I was honestly more expecting of what Andrew Kopp is than what we've got out of Comfer. So, in my mind, that's a win.
1: Michael Rasmussen for me. Yeah, 100%. It's... He's not out there having terrible games like when Michael Rasmussen was too young and underprepared to be in the NHL. It's not that... But this isn't the Michael Rasmussen of the past couple seasons. And you you wanted to see another step from him. Twenty four years old. You'd think he has a little bit more in the tank as he figures things out. I, I never really bought into that he's going to be an every year fifty point guy. I think that was too high of a, a bar to set for him, but I thought maybe he could have he could continue the offensive flair and, and be that force from time to time. Now it's early. It's eighteen games in, but
2: I, I never thought he was going to be what a lot of people thought he was going to be, but he's even underperforming what I thought he could be, which was the, what I felt much more realistic view. So yeah. I, it, when he's underperforming my expectations, it's hard for me to not pick him. Uh, I could say in general too the goaltending.
1: Yep. Yeah, Goaltending. Like you might have a, a night where Reimer stops a lot, but you'll also have a couple of stinkers and Billy Huso's just been consistently below average this season. So hopefully that's a different conversation. You've said it. I'll say it too, Brad. Andrew Cops not start the season. like We're not looking at much different than the start of last season in terms of performance. You don't want to dunk on Jeff Petrie any more than we already have, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it's funny because even though this is a a good overall start for the, the season on balance in terms of where they are in the standings, the high highs and the low lows have made it so there aren't too many people two above their performance line and what we expected, but there are, you know, numerous options for who's underperforming. But hey, 18 games in, totally fine. All right, that's all for this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're going to wrap up the show. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Uh, If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. And if you're a listener of old, we hope you enjoy things like us getting to interview the head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins. Again, griffinshockey.com slash WWP if you want to get your tickets to Winged Wheel Podcast Night with the Grand Rapids Griffins on Saturday, January 27th. It is only a couple short months away. Get your tickets fast. The tickets and the hats are limited. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters, including our name-level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Cider the Ass Kicker, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conet, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew Emmerites, Admiral Matt S. at the Cheesebag Navy, Carl Brutina Nanalewski, Carl Provi, who's a brand new name level supporter. Carl, welcome to the Dub Dub Club and thank you so much for your support. Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere, But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, D Town West Side, Exquisite Teen Bublé Schwinslow, Fergus, member of the Black Eyed Peas, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassan al Qasem. I'm thankful for my favorite podcast nerds, not you, Brad. Okay, fine, you too. Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder to the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Mike Ledland, RA, Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, that's what I appreciates about you. Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iserplan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Andrew Broderick, Axel's Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Charpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prida Darren Fick, D-Boss Snipshow, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Ferk Houston, NHL to Portland, baby, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Adobo J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Nora Sider, Ophelia, Playing Hockey for Swedish Meatballs, Steven, The Hodag, The Mexican, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X, formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll be talking to you Sunday night.